0: Hello, Jason here. I just thought I'd pop in at the beginning of the episode just to give you guys a spoiler warning. During our conversation in this episode, we do have mild spoilers for some of Jim's films. And after the hour mark, we do let away some quite big spoilers for the new Jurassic Park film and for No Time to Die. So if you haven't seen these films, please just be a bit wary after the hour mark. That's it for me. Let's get on with the show. So welcome to What's Wrong with Wolfie. My name is Jason. And I'm Rich.
1: And I'm Chris. And I'm Jim.
0: This week we speak to filmmaker Jim Miskell. The video games of 1997 is just around the corner for us and it will be a very Nintendo 64 heavy as we have Quite a soft spot for that console, and as a lead up to the episode, we are joined by a man who also has a soft spot for the machine, and one particular N64 game. You may not have come across Jim Miskell's films before, but he created the mockumentaries Going for GoldenEye, its sequel Bringing Back GoldenEye, and is credited as writer and executive producer for the new GoldenEye documentary, Golden Era. So welcome to the Wolfie Pod, Jim. Pleasure to have you here.
2: Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. And we're very happy for you to be here too.
0: <laughs> now, you are one of a few people who picked up where we got the name of the podcast straight away. And hey. you told me to ask you about this in our, in our DMs. So please, can you elaborate?
2: Yeah, I'm a massive Terminator 2 fan, obviously. And I'm right that Wolf is the dog which is killed <laughs> in the deleted scene by the t 1000
0: yeah, it was um it was Arnie trying to test to see if the foster parents yeah. were real or whether they were the T one thousand. So he checked to see if there's the what the dog's name was, which was Max.
3: Yeah.
0: And then so he said, oh, what's up with Wolfie? just to see what response he'd get and he obviously got the one that said, Yes, I am the T one thousand, so
2: and then he said, Your foster parents are dead. That's it. But there we go. Well, the yeah. reason why it, uh, I thought you might be interested is I have Arnie's costume from Terminator 2 in my no living room. way. Really? It, wow. Yeah. I found it on Prop Store a few years ago. And it's, wow. Have you ever worn it? I have. It absolutely drowned me. <laughs> and I put my son in it too, and he couldn't walk. <laughs> oh, wow. oh, my God. It's amazing. And That's it's crazy. Got all, it's called The Bullet Holes in It from. Oh, know, nice. The. um. The scene at the mall—it's uh, it's just yeah, it's awesome. I thought you might like that. Well, I yeah, think no. of you next time I watch it. Now it's amazing.
3: <laughs> Small world, cool Small world. We're imagining
0: Jim in the in the costume <laughs> instead of Arnie. Well, if you ever do a sequel uh, or a third film to to crew um, to to complete the trilogy, then I'd hope to see you in that at some point as a little cameo.
2: <laughs> Good idea.
0: Um, okay, so before we have a chat about your films, I, I, I just wanted to know, like, what exactly is it about GoldenEye that inspired you to create these films that you have about it?
2: That's a really good question. and I think when I was really thinking about thinking about writing the film, it's because when I was younger, GoldenEye was the one game that spoke to me, and it was just like, you know, you know when you play a game, and you're like, I love everything about this game. Yep. I know every inch of it. I know all the secrets. I know... I just know everything, and I'm good at it, and it, it just seemed perfect, and mm. I couldn't believe it existed because, like, I came from playing on PCs, Doom and Quake and Duke Nukem and you know Wolfenstein and Rise of the Triad stuff like that, and then to be on an N64, on Nintendo console, playing this amazing, immersive game where you, you really felt like you were Bond. I, I literally have the most distinct memories of playing it for the first time. I remember everything. I played the the frigate and the music and rescuing the hostages, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this is real. This is this is absolutely a game." <laughs> it was as close as it's as close to being in a in a movie you'd been at that point. You know, it was surreal, and at that point as well, most video game, sorry, most um. Video games based off movies were rubbish. Let's face it. They were awful. Yeah, they were they were cheap cash-ins. And I was just playing this amazing. It was like, like, this amazing game that like, I'd heard about for a long time at school. People just saying, "You need to play this. You need to play this." And I just I didn't believe them. I didn't believe them. And then when I got a hold of it, it might changed my life <laughs> quite literally.
0: I think I think it had that effect on all of us, didn't it, Rich?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, the biggest
3: thing about it was that. I think some ways N64 was still kind of a little bit scoffed at by some people, especially like your, you know, PlayStation one mm-hmm. owning mates. And I think GoldenEye Eye was that game that had some cachet and it was proper it was cool. Yeah. And it people was cool. wanted it's like it was the equivalent of like having, you know, a wipeout or a Tekken on there. It was this triple A quite, you know, mature, grounded mm-hmm. game that, you know, just Sold a console. It was. It wasn't a Nintendo game in the, in the true sense of the word. It was no. very different for
2: this. You know, cute little charcoal gray box. You know. Yeah, <laughs> I've never played anything like it. Yeah, but just never. It just it came out of nowhere, and there was no hype for it. It came out two years after the film. Yeah, yeah. It was just it's the it's just the defining game of my life, I'd say. And I've never really loved a game since like that.
4: Mm. And it
0: was like it was at that point and probably still is the best like game that encapsulated James Bond
4: mm-hmm.
0: with with all the gadgets and using the watch and the mines and you know um shooting security cameras so they didn't see you and all that kind of stuff yeah. as well and obviously the uh, the multiplayer had a big factor in in its popularity yeah.
2: definitely i mean i used to take my nintendo to school and I'd, I'd leave <laughs> it in my locker. Yeah, yeah honestly, because it's, it's not like nowadays where you can just go online and play with your mates. Uh, like, yeah, you know, you, you couldn't just. I couldn't have people around my house. I didn't. I didn't know anyone where I lived <laughs> for mm-hmm. a start, so it was like my social life was dinner time for an hour or twenty minutes at break time. Would someone would rush to my locker? Grab the Nintendo, would run up to my farm room, put it on the big TV on wheels. Remember that? <laughs> oh god, yes, I do. With all wooden doors it. and the key, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh. so yeah. And um, we did that for the last two years of school, so fourth year and fifth year. And I never lost, never lost on golden nice. ever. It wasn't even close. It was, it was crazy. And like, even when Perfect Dark came out, I brought it in. We played it for a day, and people were like, nah, let's go back to golden eye. Like, no one cared. I remember bringing my Dreamcast in to play in real tournament at school. No one cared. We went straight back to Goldeneye, and it was um, it's where the seeds of the film came from because I was really good, like really good. And uh, there was another lad called Adam who played in the uh, form room who was cool. <laughs> you know, he had like friends, and he was tall and muscly and handsome. And I'm like this skinny little guy, and uh, I didn't dare play him, and he didn't dare play me because he was the best of his mates. I was the best of my mates. And um, that's kind of where the seed for going for GoldenEye came from when I, I, was, I was really thinking about it. Because I, I was, was about to say, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> but wouldn't it be funny if 20 years later when you're adults, that you still were in that frame of mind? And um, yeah, that's that's where the seed of it came from um, back in the day when I wrote it.
0: Did you um, always plan for it to be a mockumentary? Or?
2: Yeah, yeah, because um, I'd kind of realised that there'd never been a mockumentary about video games. And that's like the genre that I love. I love The Office, I love Spinal Tap, anything by uh, Christopher Guest. Awesome. I, I just think he's one of the most underrated filmmakers in the world. I love everything he does. Um, and yeah, I, just, I mean, I didn't go to film school, you can tell from the film. <laughs> it's very rough around the edges. But I just knew enough about what I liked and what I wanted to write about. that um, it, it comes through, I think it's quite clear, that you can tell I love... Eye, and I love my oh, documentaries. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm quite proud of that film because I literally shot it in two days. And um, Wow. Yeah, and I actually had a director lined up to do it because I didn't know anything about filmmaking. And he flaked out at the last minute. I think it was five days to shoot, and I'd, I'd booked all the venues. I'd hired all the actors. I'd made all the props. I'd, <laughs> you know, I'd made the catering. I was good to go. And, um, yeah, he just pulled out, and I... Spoke to a family friend who's a university lecturer for film, and he just said, "Look, you know this film better than anyone, so you direct it." And I did. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how I did it. Yeah. I just turned up one day and went, "Hello, everybody, I'm going to direct a film," and just did it. <laughs> so, yeah. what was the uh, like the casting process like?
3: Obviously, because you had, you know, you had a a decent, a sizable cast really for a production quite small like that. Never mind, yeah. like you had the extras during the actual, you know, yeah
2: when i was writing it i always wanted ethan to be like um the guy from king of kong um, i got Bill the billy, billy mitchell, mitchell vibe straight away <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, i wanted <laughs> it to be a, a nasally weaselly version of of him essentially and yeah a lot of people got that thank god and uh, yeah, there's, like the, there's a referee as well which is like the guy in the documentary king of kong but like when i, I was looking for actors Every actor has like a headshot where they've got a chiseled jaw and a perfect <laughs> hairline and they've got abs and they're really good looking and they're all 20. Do you know what I mean? And I just really struggled to find anyone who would be like my age or who could look my age and would look like, uh, you know, an egotistical nerd, basically. <laughs> and when you'd have an actor in a room to play a nerd, they'd, they'd play nerds like, you know, in a really cheesy american tv show like the big big bang fair is it called yeah like talking nasally and eh, i am an eh, eh, eh. And I'd be like that's not what people are like in real life <laughs> yeah. like you know we're trying to fool people even for a minute that this could be a real person so um bizarrely i i, I gave up trying to find ethan through casting days which are held in manchester and um i actually got married and he this bloke turned up as um one of my Wives, boyfriends and he was like six foot five with a perm in a ponytail and was a wrestling geek and an actor a wooden actor and i just was like that's him that's ethan and i just (laughs) i just knew straight away and you know I, i just knew like visually that's what i wanted and it was just a case of can you get the performance out of him and then as for the other the other roles um, I actually can't remember too much about it. It's so long ago now, it's like twenty sixteen when I cast mm. it. Wow. Mostly mostly it was friends of friends. There was a few there was a girl in it called Chloe. She was a professional actor. Bill was a professional actor who plays Steve. There was like a core base for about seven professionals and then just people who who would help out on the day. Do you know what I mean? Can you be in this film? Yeah. And um That's why some of the acting's crap. <laughs> some of the acting's great, in it? <laughs> because it's just literally a mixture of professionals and people who just help me out which is quite cool and what about
0: tom because I, I can't i can't liked his how he won the championship it was quite a surprise i quite like the rule that you put in that if someone was to just come and like slap them then they're automatically eliminated i'm glad um, you
2: reminded me because i've not watched the film in five years <laughs> i was like oh my god how does the film and i can't remember <laughs> um yeah i added that just because i needed some drama in the film mm. And if it was just people playing, you know, I don't think that'd be very interesting. So I thought, you know, it was always embarrassing when you got slapped to death. (laughs) And especially because I always played License to Kill with my friends. So it was any shot of anything, you'd be dead. And there's nothing more embarrassing than being slapped. So, um, yeah, I thought that would be a nice way of giving a a fake-out ending, you know. Mm. You're concentrating on Ben and Ethan, and then Tom comes out of nowhere and wins it.
0: That's exactly what was happening, because that's what... As me as a viewer was doing, I was I was all on Ethan and Ben, and kind of I knew Tom was there, but mm. I don't know like the way that he, I guess the way that he'd been Britain throughout the whole film, yeah, and then that particular you know because he only squeezed in yeah. through uh, another player being disqualified in in the qualifying round, mm-hmm. so, so you know yeah I don't know you never really expected much from him, and then for him to just <laughs> just out of the blue just come up and just slap
2: yeah and that used to happen a lot when we were were younger that sometimes like the worst player would just do an absolutely amazing play you know you'd be like where did that come from and yeah i thought that'd be i thought people might like that in it um but it was was fun that was a really crazy crazy two days though because we filmed in the upstairs of a pub in a function room and um, (laughs) it was like the hottest day and i was honestly i had no idea what i was doing i had no idea No idea. And I I don't know how he did it. I genuinely don't know how he did it. And then, yeah, for it to even turn out remotely watchable, I'm so proud, (laughs) honestly. I'm like, oh, my God.
0: How long did it take you to edit it afterwards?
2: Um, Well, we filmed it in June. I think it was 16th and 17th of June. And then I wanted to release it for the 20th anniversary. I should have mentioned, sorry, that was the whole point of me making the film. It's because I was just shocked that no one was doing anything for the 20th anniversary of GoldenEyes release. Mm Mm-hmm. I was just like, I've got to do something. Like, I don't care if if no one watches it. I've got to do it. So we shot it in June, and then I had to have it finished, ready to premiere on the 25th of August, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. And um, the editor that said he was going to edit the film, he also dropped out. Oh, no. (laughs) So I just had to take a week off work and just blitz it I've, I've never edited a film in my life either mm-hmm. so I just had to figure that out it was <laughs> honestly lads it was it was insane I lived I in my imagine. kitchen for months for <laughs> months yeah, I mean I
0: like sometimes it's sometimes it's best just to get chucked in the deep end isn't it and you just have to roll your sleeves up and get yeah. on with it and, and I think the end result was uh, was a really good one so uh, oh, thank yeah.
4: you absolutely so
0: Let's get into bringing back Goldeneye then. And um, when, when you made when you made going for Goldeneye, did you always know you wanted to do a sequel?
2: Um, no, definitely not. I uh, <laughs> On the director's commentary, I remember saying I would never do a sequel ever because it, honestly, it took up so much of my life that it was difficult for me to like even think about that film when it came out because you know I'd written it, I'd edited it, I'd shot it, I designed everything in the film. I did the Blu-rays, you know, I sold it, got, I did all the deals, I was done, do you know what I mean? I was mm. done. I had two very young children at the time, um, and I was neglecting my duties, to say the least, for the love of Goldeneye. So I, <laughs> I, was, I, I swore to my wife that I would never do uh, another film, and... Well, I did another, and then I got divorced straight after it. Oh no! <laughs> oh. <laughs> so yeah, maybe I shouldn't have done another film. But um, I, the thing is, I always knew I wanted to do a real film, like a proper film. Yeah, I, I knew that there's only so much an amateur could do. You know, it's all well and good making a film. I, I'd love to make a film. Yeah, I did it, great. But especially when you read it in a film. And you see all the problems and all the flaws and you're just like oh my god if only a real director had been involved if only every actor was professional it, do you know what i mean and um it and it, you know i just thought if i'm going to do it i'll do it properly so um obviously i wrote a very different film second time around i, did, I think doing another straight up mockumentary it wouldn't make any sense and I, I didn't want to write the same kind of film again, so it was a bit. I like to think of the as going for Gold. Now it's like the UK office, where it's like it's real. It's <laughs> a bit It's a bit dark. It's a bit cynical. Mm. The, the characters are a little bit more grounded and like, well, yeah, dark. And um, the the sequel I like to think it's more like the American office, where it's a bit more lighthearted. It's a lot more silly. People know it's not real now, so there's no point pretending that we need to trick them so we'll just go with it. <laughs> and I think having a... I, I always had a main character in for, in the first script, and I took advice to get rid of him, just to save costs. Um And I really wanted that character that's essentially me, you know, bringing back Goldeneye to the masses. And, um yeah, I got, um, got lucky with the right casting for that, because I think that um, uh, Gabe, who plays Glenn, is mm-hmm. a great anchor for the whole film. That's yeah, fantastic. definitely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah it, 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 making, making a real film like Bringing It by now is utterly surreal. Because like, the, the budget for the first film was about £10,000, which uh, is, is nothing. And I think I spent about a quarter of a million on the second one. <gasps> well, wow. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. It was, well, you, it, you can tell ridiculous. the step up between the two. Yeah, it's, just a, so. it's just a completely different animal, isn't it? It's like. But, I went from having... Oh, sorry, mate. What were you going
3: to say? I was going to say, when you say like, 250,000 pounds, it sounds modest, but like say it's, it's quarter of a million, then no, yeah. it just completely <laughs> breaks my brain. So. But it's still
2: <laughs> classed as a low-budget film. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Which is insane. Definitely. But I went from having, say, the music yeah. I I bought all royalty-free music for the first film, and then I had Grant Kirkhope do an original score, which who yeah. is a GoldenEye composer, Banjo-Kazooie, Mario, Smash Brothers... Wow, uh, You know, Warcraft, utterly <laughs>
1: surreal. I love how the music, the music just like being a Bond fan and hearing yeah. the music yeah. taking me right back to being a kid playing Goldeneye in my bedroom, just hearing that bubbling underneath the surface. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but did I hear like your composer throwing a bit of a gold finger in there as well, like near the finale?
2: Um. Oh, i not seen it in so long, there, mate.
1: there was some like proper beats now. I was like, wow, like he threw that in there as well. I was I was blown away by probably, the whole music.
2: Uh, towards the end the music is daft. Like when it when he sent through the temp <laughs> track and I played my their hairs on my neck would be on end, I'd be like, This is for my film, what the yeah. fuck? <laughs> it just blew my mind. But like yeah, like, I went from having this having a film shot in a pub with ten extras. It's right, 120 extras in leeds wow. Leeds University, with a casting crew of 50 or 60 people. <laughs> you know, it's a proper production. It was mm. insane. I remember being sat in the uh, stands, just sat there thinking, "I've done this." And I was just like, "I was, I was gobsmacked." And I had David Dog visit the set for our cameo. It's <laughs> so amazing. I was that. stunning that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's cool. And he smiled so much. Like, yeah, and, <laughs> and I'm just sat there with him going, "This is all your fault, David." <laughs> <laughs> It was utterly, utterly surreal. It was just the, the
1: line in there you put in the ends that I spoke to every gamer our age. I've shot you in the head many times. Yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I literally. was just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was sublime. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Um, I love the inclusion of the perfect dark r- rivalry in, in bringing back Goldeneye, and um, I especially enjoyed Todd throughout the World Championship scenes. The the idea that he sponsored it all was also really funny and cool. Was he was he one of the characters you had most fun writing for?
2: Definitely, I I think he might steal the film. To be honest, um, yeah. he's a, he's a Ben. It's called Ben Mansbridge, and when I was writing the first film, he was nearly Ethan. He was. I just couldn't yeah. I yeah I just I just could not get a reply from his agent um and I, I think he must have moved agencies or something at the time there was something I was reaching out and I was getting nothing back because he's he's a proper geek he's a gamer you know he's like me and he loves his movies he's just a geek and you can tell and um like he, he was amazing the, the rivalry I just thought it had to be done and the idea that there's gaming gangs it's just so stupid. Yeah. And, you know, like, what is it? The GoldenEye Gang and the Perfect Darklings. I just think that's, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's You can imagine it and, like, you know, having the fight outside the, the video game shop.
0: Oh, for Conker's Bad Fur Day, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: arguing over frame rates and expansion packs and yeah. what game's better. We all did it at school. We, we all was- did it.
3: That was one of the best yeah. um, like insults so I said about like oh you're a subset, you can only play like twenty five percent of Perfect Dark without <laughs> yeah. an expansion pack. I laughed way more than I should have. I just was like that's
2: fantastic, absolutely fantastic line. So yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I, I just Like I said, I wanted it to be sillier with more with with more like cartoony characters essentially. And yeah, Bentley's so um, theatrical. She's more of his, he's more background of a theatrical actor, and he's. He just he steals the show and like oh god I I just I, I love him and like yeah when he's I, mean, I don't I don't I don't know if I should talk about what happens in the film I hope, I'd like people to watch it but the idea that he was blinded by a sandwich when he was fifteen <laughs>
1: <laughs> <And> <laughs> a triangle sandwich it's not like the most English
2: gag ever yeah and like I think there's a line about a dairily dunker hit Greg's window <laughs> something stupid. And I just thought, it, it makes me laugh, and I don't care if you don't make everyone else laugh, because it's just so British. Yeah, and <laughs> then you had great.
0: that um, spectator in the crowd just lob one at him during the, the championship, uh, and it was like all done in slow motion, and this yeah. and the other, and it was just so funny.
2: Do you know that was CGI as well? Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, we so, couldn't uh, tell, so it was broken. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so on set, the, the prop guy, uh, Craig, he rigged up a, a triangle sandwich with... Um, <laughs> little wooden sticks that were quite sharp so it stick together. <laughs> and um so he threw it. Um, it was Ethan's brother the character. He threw it and then we had to go up close to throw it in his face and we actually threw a real sandwich at his face. But it exploded on impact. And you could see the sticks holding it together. So our amazing editor Lucas he rotoscoped the sandwich out. And then I had a
1: CGI sandwich made. <laughs> So wait, so wait, you, you you the guy frame by frame rotoscoped out a sandwich. Yeah. you? Oh, oh <laughs> got, my no. god. You've got no <laughs> oh idea. My
2: god. The, the editor, Lucas. Have you ever heard of Dead Man's Shoes? Oh, amazing film. Oh, he yeah. he edited that. He wow. Does all, he does all Shane Meadows stuff. He's fantastic. And um, so when there's all the, all the wide shots of the auditorium at the end, where you can see Goldeneye being played on the screen, um. He had to roll the original gameplay footage out, because it never synced up, and put the new footage in. Oh my god, that's incredible! Honestly, hi like, that guy is a G. He's an absolute legend.
0: Yeah, because you you can't tell it. You know, sometimes it, you can tell like it looked a bit out of place, doesn't it? But yeah, it, in this I, there was no there was no it's, nothing to to say. That's what happened in the edit.
2: Yeah, it, it was quite funny. I say funny. It was very stressful. So. Before we um, shot the film, myself and Dan, the Dan Guest, the director, and um, a few of my friends, we sat and we did all the gameplay for the film, and we did it on a modded HDMI N64, and we recorded it. So it, we, we had complaints on the first film that I used emulators. Hmm. Obviously, I wanted it to look the best quality, so I used emulators. So I thought, I'll take that feedback, use a real console, make it HD. But when you actually put it on a 4K you know, yep. editing suite, it looked terrible.
4: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it I've, done one I've done it myself.
1: I've done
2: it. looked awful. So, but we'd shot the film. So we had all the actors playing um, the games that we'd already done specifically, hitting the marks. So then we had to go back after and we had to re-record all the gameplay on an emulator, recreating every single moment. And it took about two weeks just to re-record all the wow. gameplay. And then it was all put in again. Yeah, honestly, the amount of work that went into this film—it's—it's it's insane. It's insane.
3: Um, as as a bit of a lifelong wrestling fan, I think I can speak for us all and say that I loved uh, Ethan's heartbreak kid inspired entrance in the world championships. Uh, did that take long to come up with that scene? Was that something you just wanted to do um, straight away?
2: Um, I can't remember what gave me the inspiration. I just like the idea of embarrassing Daniel, the actor, to be honest. <laughs> <But> <laughs> he seemed and, and, to be enjoying himself. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, I just. Well, hmm, Dan dressed up as a wrestler in a gold singlet singing a wrestling song. <laughs> um, yeah, it was easy. And like the lyrics, I wrote the song in about oh. 20 minutes, literally. Wow. Just put all the golden eye jokes in. Oh, God, can I remember the lyrics? Wait, on so is <laughs> it my curls get the girls greatest golden eye player in the world in the facility with just a club still wouldn't stoop to play his job job PP7 to when I'm against it. Rambo could save you because I'm the golden child boom boom click click definitely had run proof more than one chick asked Cher she was there which wouldn't take off her underwear boom that's phenomenal thank you very much thank you very much (laughs) it's streaming on spotify right now if you want to listen to it really oh wow okay
1: it's on spotify it's on amazon music stream away it's the fact that it just goes in from bond weapons even the moonraker laser i'm like whoa (laughs) (laughs) mind mind blown right now
2: it's funny and like going to a recording studio to record that (laughs) was ridiculous wow I think we were in there for the morning, and this guy. I just played him the Shawn Michaels song. I went, "Do that, but make it shit." <laughs> so I like, "It can't be good. Like, it cannot be good. Like, make it as good as you can, but it's got to be good. It's got to be crap." So he tried his best to do a good song, but it's crap at the same time. <laughs> but I think it's great. i like the, the entrance yeah. when it, he enters the auditorium at the end. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, I quite
0: liked um, the the Ethan storyline throughout this second film and like when you kind of find him in the tent in that just like wasteland of a field um, and his hair is just literally all over the place. It was just, uh, and then his nan turns up well, he's yeah. been interviewed. It was just quality.
3: <laughs> I you ca- oh, Any joke about Calpol is the most British thing ever. I just love yeah. It always yeah. makes me smile when I heard, I got your cow it was like, <laughs> It's just wonderful. Like, it, just, it made me
2: smile so much. Though. He's just a wonderful character. that You can just put him, in a, put him in a situation like that. Yeah. And, you know, he's everything he says is a lie. He wants to be loved. He wants to be respected. And the idea that his little grandma turns up with his cowpole and his scrambled eggs. <laughs> oh.
0: It's just, it's just great. Yeah. Um, do you have plans to make one more film to complete the the trilogy, or have you just are you done now?
2: No, I'm definitely done now. Yeah, yeah. definitely done. Um, I just think it's done. Like I think the story ties up really well. I think everyone gets a nice happy ending. Ish. Todd loses in a bribe, but that's <laughs> oh no, you <yeah, laughs> get it back at the end. I, I, we reshot the ending. I forgot about that. Yeah. So. Um, I, I would like to. I've written two more films during lockdown, but they're very different. They're very, very different. But I just, um, I don't know if I can justify the time, to be honest, mm. because it'd be another three years of my life. And I quite like my children. I like hanging out with them. Do you know Yeah, yeah.
0: Maybe it's something to put on the back burner until they're a bit older.
2: Yeah, but um, I think my son's got a cameo in the first film. I um, photoshopped him up to ugly. When I think Tom's talking about his ugly children.
0: Um, oh, okay, yeah.
2: I flashed a picture of my son up, and I tried to make him look like... This is this will be a very vague reference, but... Do you remember crabs in Banjo-Kazooie that are all weird? Yeah. And one has a giant eye, and <laughs> one done. <laughs> I thought, I'll, I'll make him look like a bit of a Banjo-Kazooie crab. <laughs> and, uh, that, that got a good laugh. Cool, uh, uh, I,
0: I, I just need to ask you as well, is that, um, is that, is that golden eye jacket still around?
2: Um oh god, the amount of people have asked. <laughs> the owner of that is a gentleman called Martin Hollis. I'm okay. hoping you know the name. I'm hoping you that know the name. Is familiar? It's the he's the director of the Goldeneye game. Yeah. So um I'm very I'm very lucky at through through the films I've managed to make friends with a lot of the GoldenEye team mm. and spent some really quality time with them and um yeah, I gifted it to Martin. As a thank you for making my favourite game, and he uh, kindly wore it when the film was released. Oh, doing A few nice. pictures on Twitter, and um, people thought he was just, you know, just showing off. Yeah. They Didn't, <laughs> didn't realise it. it was just he was taking the Mickey wearing this golden eye custom jacket. But um, I, I do regret giving away a little bit because mm. I did like, I did like the fact that I had that, and I designed that jacket. And
0: it's a quality jacket. I loved it. It's stunning. So yeah, I when,
2: wear, when I, I saw it, it, I was just like, I want that. Oh, well, oh, yeah. People keep saying you should put them for sale, but well, I'll, I'll think about it. I would buy one. Yeah, yeah. I yeah like yeah, I like, speaking of jackets, uh, you know when Tom transformed into the Lone Wolf? Oh yeah. <laughs> so I I, con- I contacted um, again back to wrestling. I contacted a seamstress who works for WWE. Oh, wow. I him, okay. I want, I want him to look like a wrestler coming to the ring. You're like, like a. I just read that's ridiculous, basically. So it's got like it's custom made by um the WWE Seamstress, and it's got like all the little N64 controllers all over it. I don't even know if you can tell in the film, it's very I don't know if that you can just quite catch it, but it's, it's all everything on it's N64 related. It's not just the lone wolf, do you know what I mean? There's lots, lots to it, and I've kept that just because I thought oh, that's. Too cool to give away.
0: That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cool. That's a one-of-a-kind thing to keep.
4: Oh, Ethan, you're so hot.
3: I am the sexiest man of all time. To be this gorgeous should be a flipping crime. The ladies love me at the gaming convention. I turn their heads, get it out of attention. One look at me... Chicks are at heaven. Cause I got more game than double oh seven. Cause I'm the golden child. I dropped the ladies' world. The one my analog stick. My beepy symphony mix up.
0: Well, um, let's just move into your latest project that's just come out in Golden Era. And It was quite fascinating to learn what we did from the documentary. And were there any, like, juicy pieces of trivia you found out for the first time yourself while making the film?
2: To be honest, probably not. Because I'm a massive golden iPhone. Like, (laughs) you know, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing how much I know. (laughs) It's truly embarrassing. I'm, I'm sure there's a few things, but because I've watched the film in edit about 100 times... Uh, I'm just completely immune to it now if that makes sense yeah mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's lots of things but at the moment because um, I, I think we all knew from back in the day it was meant to be a virtual cop clone on rails I, mean, yeah, I, I knew that when I was 15, that. 16 years old but it shocked me it <laughs> a lot one of my friends Luke didn't realise that and the thing I didn't actually not lie, the thing I didn't know was I didn't know that Miyamoto, Miyamoto wanted, wanted to visit the hospital at the end oh yeah I that thought, was crazy yeah. wasn't to, it to visit the yeah. when I saw
1: those clips I was like that is an amazing idea <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great
2: and the fact that Drew managed—Drew is amazing the director Drew Roller he managed to recreate all the all these scenes you know like Miyamoto walking through a hospital in the Golden Eye engine <laughs> <laughs> it was so wonderful
4: <laughs> uh, it was
2: fantastic I, I think the, the thing that I enjoyed most about the documentary Golden Era was hearing other people's memories about the game mm. because like I don't I don't know how old you guys are, but like I'm 37. The 90s was a long time ago. There's no social media. Yeah, you had everyone had small circles. You went to school. You had a few minutes out of school, and to know that there was other people all around the world, millions of people having the same experiences as mm-hmm. me, just made me so happy. You know, the multiplayer and staying up all night with your friends and the friendships that were formed in front of the TV. You know, oh, just magic, and like yep. hearing other people's little anecdotes, oh, it's just brilliant. And I think it's also it was also nice to hear the industry professionals who still understand the impact that Goldeneye had, because you know, there's a lot of um, younger gamers now who are quite vocal about older games. They mm-hmm. call them they call them unplayable a lot. Because they've grown up with an Xbox 360 controller, which is you know, one of the greatest controllers of all time. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand that there was stuff before that. Because that, we've played it, we know how it plays. So you, you hear comments about oh, it's aged terribly, the frame rate's crap. Well, let me tell you, in 1997, I didn't care about the controls. They were perfect. They're still yeah. perfect for me now. Perfect for me now. The frame rate, mm-hmm. who cares? You were with your yeah. mates. You were having too much fun. To kind of dipped by five frames a second, like I
0: didn't even know what <laughs> frame rate was back then. I didn't no, remember. exactly. No,
2: we used to it's say I mean. it's lagging. It's lagging. The game yes. is yeah. lagging. Do you know what I mean? We didn't know. We were just like <laughs> I never. I couldn't honestly say I never noticed when I was a kid.
3: No, no, no not, not at all. Fun yeah, I mean, the- I I still maintain that like I don't think even Goldeneye has aged that badly at all. I think it's just the N64 controller is what lets it down these days. I could play it with another pad now and I know it's not the authentic experience but I think the yeah. game still holds it's up great. you know mechanically I don't think yeah. it's a creaking mess like people make no. out
2: It's the art style isn't it I mean yeah. there's there's nothing else like it when you, when you look at it you know it's a rare game the quality of the textures of the models the music the art design they were light years ahead of everyone back then Yeah I, mean, I might have my blinkers on, my nostalgia goggles, but when I play it now, I still think it looks great. Yeah. I still, I still look at the hand holding the DD-44, and I'm like, that is textured so well. Yeah. You know, and when it shoots, you can see the gun opening up, you know, and the cartridge flying out. You're like, oh, my God, they didn't have to do that. They
1: didn't have to do that, and they did. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Amazing. I mean, I was 13 when Goldeneye came out, and yeah. it's the height of my Bond fandom, basically, because Tomorrow Never Dies was just about to come out. I was sort of becoming this mega fan. I was just like, oh, Goldeneye. Went to Woolworths back in the day, <laughs> saved up <Yeah>. my money, <laughs> and bought an N64 with the Goldeneye sleeve on it. Still own it <sighs> to this day. Ah. Uh, and I brought it up on one of our other recordings and Funny enough, my edition doesn't have the golden, golden controller. That was a separate edition for the James Bond tie-in. Yeah. Right? Okay. So there are two different golden eye tie-ins for the N64. I've got the standard one, but I've still got the immaculate golden eye sleeve that goes over the N64, and there's the cartridge nestled in the polystyrene. <laughs> and, I love it. Like, when I was a kid, I was just like, this is the single best, and like, you brought up the music. It's just like... It's like they've lifted Eric Serra's score straight from the film and made it better.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: And you've got that metallic sound that Eric Serra managed to put into his score. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Especially in the St. Petersburg and also in the facility. Yeah, sorry, the facility, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you replicate that the first time I think it's ever been done, James Bond theme on heavy drums, heavy bass drums, Mm-hmm. and it's in there and I was like you're fully immersed in that game music the the AI of the the people we've talked about yeah. it before on these recordings as well that was mind-blowing back then yeah because yeah, the normally you like... just have the goons just walking back and forth looking yeah. around and walking back and forth Goldeneye comes along you can shoot their hats off they scratch mm. their ass yeah. blow <laughs> flies away from their face you shoot them in the knee and they hold their knee they duck <laughs> yeah. for cover it's just and then when it was brought up on the documentary I was just like Wow! Like, and then even now, games are still struggling to replicate that AI.
4: Yeah,
1: I don't know how they haven't managed to do it, but like, it adds to the charm to the game. Um, yeah, it, it did not make any sense either.
2: Like, um, I think it was Jason saying earlier that it was a family-friendly console. Yeah, and you're shooting people in the penis and the whole thing's Yeah, exactly. <laughs> magic, yeah. absolute magic.
1: And I, I was amazed actually. I don't know why I didn't know it until. Today, that my grandparents lived five minutes away from Twycross where it was developed. Shut up. They lived in a little village called <laughs> Appleby Magna just off the big McDonald's roundabout. Are you kidding? No.
3: Then <laughs> no. you no, find no. out your grandparents did motion capture for it. So. Yeah, that would be funny. <laughs> yes. They never told
1: you, Chris. They never told what, you. What's quite funny is we used to go up there quite a lot in the mid 90s, so I was literally five minutes away, literally five, maybe ten oh, minutes wow. drive from Twycross.
2: Since you could
0: have gone there and like I, know, been outside the gates and wait for him to come out, and
1: it's just mad like how I haven't found out until literally this weekend that that game was developed just down the road from that massive roundabout and the little villages. <laughs> it doesn't make any it's sense. Crazy. Does it? I mean, I'd, I'd
2: remember reading it in N64 magazine, which. Was the best Nintendo Mag when I was a kid, yep. yeah, yeah, and you'd, you'd, you'd read about Manor Farm, you'd read about Twycross, mm-hmm. and you'd read about the new offices that Rare had, and it just felt like another world. Mm-hmm. But it was an hour away down the motorway,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and you're like, <laughs> you like these get like Banjo Kazooie,
1: like that's made in England. Yeah, oh. you. I didn't think about that when I was yeah. a kid. I yeah, assume they're all made by you know, massive rendering com- uh, games companies didn't yeah. once think that it was made by half a dozen people in a converted barn. <laughs> yeah. And like, like for, back to GoldenEye, you know, they were graduates, Martin mm-hmm.
2: Hollis was in his very early twenties. I mean, I don't know about you boys, in my very early twenties, I was useless at everything. Yeah. And this guy knocks out GoldenEye as his first game, <laughs> like, changes a changes genre, yeah. inspires, inspires it for the next 20 years. Like, how? <laughs> and I, I remember being in having dinner with him, and I'm he's just the nicest, most normal bloke. And I just like it's the impact. I remember walking through Cambridge with him, I'm just like, all these people, you they know your game, they know it. And like, I just thought, how, how does he go around every day knowing that every shop he goes into, mm. every person he bumps into, will know what he did, his work, and how mind blowing that must be? Yeah, no, definitely. And he's just an human, lovely, kind-hearted bloke. It's just surreal. Although he got me to drink some sake once in a Japanese restaurant, and uh, I don't think I've still recovered. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, I think that was, um, like, when you mentioned that in the documentary about how GoldenEye had affected, like, the first-person shooter, even up to today, uh, and I I'd never really kind of put that connection together, I don't think, in my own head until... I saw that in your documentary and I was like, Mm -hmm. actually, yeah, it's right. Actually it it has, you know, like Call of Duty and all that kind of stuff may not be what it is today without GoldenEye. And that made the game even a little bit more special for me now that that I've realized that fact.
2: It's a line straight back. If you go back from every successful console, um, franchise shooter, it goes back to GoldenEye because it had never been done on a console it never worked i don't think any first person shooter had worked on our console to be honest i mean i remember trying to play doom on the snes and it was you know it's unplayable it was miraculous that it worked and i remember pl- trying to play um quake on the saturn again <laughs> miraculous that it was ported, but it was it was borderline unplayable mm. it, you, you knew it was a stripped down experience from the pc this was a thing um Whenever PCs, obviously PCs are always ahead, but in that time, consoles were ahead. N64 was ahead. You couldn't get Churrock on a, on a PC. You couldn't get Mario. You couldn't get Goldeneye. I mean, you certainly couldn't get four people around a PC monitor playing split screen.
4: Yeah.
2: You know, it, that changed everything. And oh god, it, it it's, it's no wonder that like there was a massive boom. If you think that it was four years after Goldeneye, Halo comes out. With four-player split-screen local multiplayer, and then a whole other generation discovers that kind of experience, you know. And obviously, time splitters after that, mm. and it, it's coming back. I mean, time, quite quite literally, time splitters is coming back. There's a hunger for it. Yeah. I don't I don't think it's nostalgia. I think it's the experiences that people had, mm. and the the I mean, the the fact that GoldenEye was about James Bond, is kind of irrelevant. Yeah. It could have been. It could have been skinned anyway. Do you know what I mean? The the artists that were involved in making the game were that good, that it could have been about. It could have been perfect art. People saw those memories. It was just the right game at the right time. That's how good it was. Yeah. But the fact the fact that you played as James Bond made it a hundred times cooler. Yeah. yeah. And Pierce is <laughs> my boy. He's he's my James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> the bit where you know when you're in a single player mission and the camera, it yeah, pan, pans around. I love around. that. Goes Magic. into his
1: head and you're like, boom, you're James Bond. It's so a yeah, subliminal yeah. messaging basically, and you're like, whoosh, you're there. Yeah, you're you like, just see the I hands. The... That, um, that, was, that, and
0: was... the when you die, you know, and you get that little oh, James Bond brief, a... and then yeah. the, you yeah. know, the blood going down the screen. Um, yeah. that, that was the other part. That, of that was
1: fantastic.
2: I love that. And the, the enemies always continue to shoot your corpse. I <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. It's
1: like, come on boys. <laughs> yeah. that, but that's that's what I love is how faithfully it was, faithfully it was adapted. But also when I was a kid I remember playing the game and then watching the film again and it makes the viewing experience so much richer because you can have your head headcanon and go, Oh, that's how we got to the dam. That's how we got through there and through there So your the game is actually adding to your movie experience at the same time as the game adding to your Yeah. Your the I'm film adding to the game agree. experience. It's a perfect free. full circle. And it just works. And I remember I remember house parties up until the two, early two thousands. Me and my me and my mates were still firing up Goldeneye in our early twenties. Love it. And the <laughs> multiplayer alone, just the way it just gave you the golden gun and the licence to kill for the one shot kills.
2: Match It was just
1: no, it's it. A brilliant.
2: There's one thing actually that um, you're rejigging some memories now that really did surprise me is that we managed to get all the footage of the documentary for Golden Era from Brett, which was set footage from a digital video camera oh. he had back in the day, which mm-hmm. is surreal. So you, you, you get to see the, um, the control level, the set from the end of the um, movie. Like you get to see it blown up, and before it's blown up, and you think what they managed to do, what Carl Hilton managed to do with his level design to match that set, Yeah. on, let's face it, it was experimental hardware it was a, Nintendo's first 3D console it yeah I the remember first, the first cop. when they
1: said it when they when they said it on the documentary I was like digital camera and I was like that would have been what 94 yeah early 94 <laughs> who had a camera like that at that time
2: It's incredible and back, back to what you are saying Chris um, I used to re-watch Goldeneye um, like you were saying and recognise the levels and I'd be like oh my god that's the bit in the bunker where it's the kitchen yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. I'm like, oh my God, the, you know, this is where you throw the more down here and blah, blah, blah. It just blew my mind. <laughs> you know, yes. it, made, it made the film better. And that's what a, a video game, sorry, a mo-
1: yeah, video game, no, a movie video game had never done before. I remember reading somewhere that there was either a shot and deleted scene of Pierce's Bond infiltrating the dam and the facility, but a majority of it was either cut or not filmed. Did the developers have access to the shooting script at all? Um, they did. Yeah, they did. I was going to say, because from what I've read from the shooting script and you, you'd get the gameplay, it was almost beat for beat exactly written in the shooting script that way.
2: Yeah, but yeah, they don't almost. remember talking to mine about that. Yeah, mm. I mean, that's how faithful they were. And um, I mean, if you, if you think as well, back to, back to the team that did it, it's a very different working environment now than how video game studios are set up now. There's a lot of talk about crunch and burnout and you know things have changed in the industry and i think it's a it's it's an interesting conversation to have that without crunch without young people working their butts off into the night in the 90s a lot of great art video games wouldn't exist you know and it's like there's a balance between oh my god people working themselves into you know stressful lives and lonely lives because they're always at work but creating amazing art it's like oh my god when i actually think you know if they went to home at five o'clock every day Goldeneye wouldn't have been as good it would have Mm -hmm. come and gone in a week Mm -hmm. like most games
0: i think what came across in the documentary though was because they worked together for so much longer periods of time that they really bonded well together Mm -hmm. and and obviously they i think they probably made a better game because they got on so well with each other as well Mm -hmm.
2: definitely and they still get on now really well which is that's nice yeah yeah it's 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 surreal being around them to be honest because they're just big big kids (laughs) big kids was there anything um that you
3: cut from golden era um in the end that you were sad to see on the on the cut room floor
2: or did you pretty much get it all in um, the, the editing process was at, Drew was more heavily involved because he, he edited the film with help from others. But the, the problem was, and it was a, a kind of a good problem, is that as the film was coming together, there was more and more GoldenEye related things hitting the hitting the press. So we had the remaster leaked. So we're like, oh my god, the film's ready. It's like an hour and twenty minutes, but there's there's this happened. It's got to be in the film you know, you had people breaking speedrun records, you're like, well, we got they've got to be in, mm. you know, and then there's talk of GoldenEye coming back, you know, there's all these achievements coming up on Xbox Live, and <sighs> and it, it was more a case of what can, what can we afford to, what can't we leave out, do you know what I mean? Mm. It, was, it, it was just like we were bombarded with <laughs> content, do you know what I mean? We travelled all around the world, and then content was just coming out as in post-production, so it's strictly because, you know, Drew, I know Drew sat down for hours with people and, you know, we did speak about it being a series at one point, like a six-part series, because there is that much. Mm. So uh, eventually when, when there is a... I know there's a physical re- release coming from Altitude in the UK and um, I'll have to forgive me, I can't remember the name, the US distributor, um, but it'll be jammed full of extras because nice. there, is, there is so much, there's so much
0: and i think i think you know these kind of documentaries I, I love so much because as as you've mentioned in or previously like we we didn't have access to this kind of information back then and you know we we had no idea what was actually going on to making these games mm-hmm. and and what they were doing so now seeing what actually was involved yeah a it's really interesting and, and B is like fascinating to just to learn what actually was, was occurring f- to make these games for us.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I, you think about the UK scene in general back then, I think we were killing it. Grand Theft Auto was made in, was it made in Leeds? Or was yeah. It, yeah. It, was it, yeah. Yeah. It was, Grand Theft Auto started in Yorkshire. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> God's county. Definitely. <laughs> you know we're (laughs) killing it you see us us gold was based in yorkshire as well There was all these we were we're a hub of creativity
1: see that blows my mind because as a kid i mean we're the same age me and yourself and rich Mm -hmm. but i spent a lot of time in yorkshire and it blows my mind that all of these games that took the world by storm and made millions if not billions were made in yorkshire it's it's nuts. It's crazy, you it? <laughs> know. Like, it's crazy, and like
2: if you think that um, Time Splitters was made in, it was Nottingham. Is it Nottingham? <laughs> yeah, it's just these normal, that's, that's normal mad. towns. Yeah. Like, when you when you walk through Nottingham Centre, you you walk past. Um, is it Crytek UK that made it? I can't remember what Yeah, I think it yeah. was. their office is just on the high street. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you can you can see in. You can see them working. That's, that's the crazy thing. Cause you, you see these other massive developers and the, like the headquarters, don't you like prime example, like you think if it's going to be like a, a massive Apple CEO location, don't you where well, it's going to be a massive purpose built building mm-hmm. and they're just unassuming office blocks. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, it's laughs> And just you, very, very British. You know what I mean? yeah, yeah. And we, I went to Nottingham a few times, but you know, never once figured that a massive game was ever made there.
0: It just it's, didn't occur to you, does it? Just, right. I don't know. It just never occurs you to you When you are a that.
1: kid, you just think,
2: well, well, in the 90s, I thought video games are made in America or Japan. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. That was it. Yeah. That was it. And the fact that Britain has had such an impact and continues to have such an impact yeah. is, well, it, it just shows what an amazing creative country that we are. Yeah. I think GoldenEye, Rare. I mean, rare, Rare in the Golden Era, I mean, not so much now. I mean, it pains me to say that. Uh, What happened to that company when it was taken over? Is you know it's a disaster basically. I better not talk about that because it just makes me sad. You didn't (laughs) enjoy those Connect games? I
3: thought they were fantastic.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I remember buying one of them and I was just like, I can't believe that they thought this was a good good idea. I'm stood in my living room waving my hands trying to move a raft. Like this is not fun. What is going on? And um, yeah, sadly I've I've lost hope and I've you know. Getting to know the lads who made the game, you know I've heard the stories that I probably shouldn't share, but about what happened after the Americans took over, Microsoft took over, and how the ethos of the company changed. And yeah, it's it's a tragedy when you when you think about that that run they had in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, they they killed it. Every game they released was awesome. I don't think yeah. they had a bad game. They gen- genuinely didn't. And who can say that? I, mean, I can't think of a developer now, apart from maybe like From Software, where they release a game and you know it's good and you got riled right, by that. You buy it based off the dev. And that's what Rare was back then.
0: Yeah, such a, such a great company back then. And like you say, it's sad to see the way that they went with making all the Kinect Sport games. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, I guess, you know, with uh, Sea of Thieves, it, they've mm-hmm. kind of come back a little bit, but still hasn't obviously captured the magic that they did back in the day, unfortunately.
1: No, it's, yeah. it's like any any takeover, isn't it? Like, it just destroys that dynamic mm-hmm. and you go from having almost unlimited freedom to not, basically. And you see it with Disney's recent takeover of Fox. And, and it even happens with, like, this is going to sound like really nerdy, but I'm in good company here. There's a toy company called Art Asylum in America that did amazing video game and Star Trek six scale figures they were taken over by diamond select toys and their quality went down 70 <laughs> percent literally mm. overnight wow and like having a few of the stuff that i've got here and you look at the diamond select stuff it's not the same it's like yeah. any takeover it changes it nine times out of ten for the negative it's sad isn't it it's sad
2: especially when it's, yeah. it's art that's involved yeah because i think you know When you when you buy, I think it's a very American thing. You see what's going on with Microsoft at the moment, throwing billions at studios. Mm. Yeah, you think that that's how they're going to win the gaming market by throwing money at companies? And do you know what? It's a short-term solution to a long-term problem. And I think that the way that what they did with Rare back in the day is a good example of what Microsoft do when they take over a company. They they take what's special about it, the people. They change everything, and. um, it's, it's just tragic what happened with Rare.
1: Tragic. But we've got their legacy to go back on. Mm, definitely. I, Absolutely. I, just
2: wish, I just wish it was on Switch. Yeah. Well, yeah. Rare e- replay should that. be on Switch. It makes no, <laughs> yeah. it makes no
1: yeah. sense. <laughs> There's always rumours and musings, isn't it? And then all of a sudden it all blows over and for another six months and then it comes up again. And Yeah. It's like, do you not like money? Mm. Like <laughs> We will give you money. Yeah. We'll happily give you money. Yeah. <laughs> And we all know that working with the bond producers is like you know <laughs> trying to find well, I don't know, blood from a stone to coin a phrase. Yeah. There's just so many so much red tape, isn't there? So it might be that. It might be they don't run anything. Oh, I don't know.
2: Who who honestly, who knows? Literally, there's millions of people all over the world that want to empty the wallet and throw money at them.
1: I'm mm-hmm. Literally
0: just waiting. It, as yeah. soon as it gets, you know, if it was dumped tomorrow morning, I'll be there. Yeah. I, I wouldn't care if it was 50 quid. No. I'd still buy it.
1: <laughs> yeah, because, like, if anything like me, you've got an N64, but when was the last time you turned it on?
2: Yeah, imagine oh, right. trying to get your N64 on your 8K TV. It's yeah, not gonna <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. Exactly. Like, I, I managed no. to
1: get it working on my old, was it my old 45-inch Sony, and it looked jank. hmm Imagine? And I plugged it into the aerial and managed to manually tune it and find it. But like we said earlier, those games were made for CRT monitors and televisions. <laughs> they weren't made for flat panel LCDs, and it just looks weird. It looks strange. Yeah, they, they look like they're covered in Vaseline, though, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so odd. You, just, you know, and that HD remaster that we all saw leak, and you just like, just give it to us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah.
2: And, imagine just firing it up you can see the marketing material now you can see it four mates in the night and he sat on the couch playing GoldenEye mm. and then 20 years later you're all sat on your own couch in your own home as adults with kids playing yeah. online on split screen just like you with each other I mean it settles itself make it happen Yeah, but it's in widescreen. Um, screen yes yeah. and HD and,
1: and, that, and that, that's that's the thing as well I recently yesterday I watched um, Drew's interview with Calvin Dyson you know, yep. James Bond YouTuber. Yeah, look like guy. It's great. And there's another guy, David Zeritsky. He does a lot of James Bond content as well. And he, they brought up. You know, we haven't had a James Bond game in decade in a decade. Mm. Obviously, now IO Interactive they have the rights, but there's no word on what they're doing or how they're doing it. And just wondered your yeah. thoughts on what's to come from IO Interactive in the future. So
2: they're like. the ones. They're the guys who did Hitman. Am I right? Yes, they are.
1: Yep. Well. I imagine it'll be Hitman
2: with James Bond. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, that's all it it has to be, really. Mm. I mean, let's face it, they're not going to try and rewrite the wheel. They're going to try and copy a formula that makes money because it's too much money to make make games these days. Um, I kind of hope that they
0: do something a bit different with James Bond and not just skin Hitman. I
1: was going to say that exact thing.
0: Because... I mean, I've, I've played Hitman, and I it, it wasn't my kind of game. I, I just couldn't click with it, and and I tried. I played it for a few hours, and I, and I just couldn't, I don't know, I just I just didn't get on with it.
1: Sorry, but uh, the best game is the original Hitman 2, Jason.
0: Uh, yeah, well, I played yeah. Hitman,
4: so maybe. I, <laughs> um, no, I so, played
2: the new one too. I thought, I, I, you're right, it didn't click with me. It was it's so open-ended. I, I, yeah. I'm, this, is, this is me because I'm getting older. I don't have as much time for games. Exactly. Yeah. When, when, yeah. I, when I play a linear game, and I know what I'm doing.
0: Yeah.
2: Last of Us is a great example. You know where you're going at all times. You know mm-hmm. what you've got to do. The yeah. story's fantastic. You're in it. As soon as I play a game when it goes open world, I'm like, oh God, I don't have the time. It's like I have <laughs> yeah. a second job. I've got kids. Yeah. Well, right. You want me to go and con- climb up another control tower to, um, to unlock a bit of the map?
1: Please give me a break. (laughs) See, exactly that. I I actually got really bored and frustrated with the Batman Arkham series for that exact Mm -hmm. reason. There's too much to do and too much ground to traverse. The first Arkham Asylum is great, again, because it's linear. You're on one path... Mm-hmm. small rooms to explore and then they open it up and then they open it up even more and in the end I was like oh I tapped out I was like it's just too much to focus on <laughs> and then I started playing the Uncharted games again and I was just in my head I'm like the remastered Uncharted is, a, is amazing it looks stunning yeah, I found great. myself about a year ago or two years ago going what if Naughty Dog did a James Bond property
2: Ooh.
1: Yeah, imagine
2: that that would be amazing right?
1: you play Uncharted 4 A Thief's End and then you think to yourself If they if they did that semi open world semi linear blend that they've managed to do with all those cinematic scenes and interactions that you do, they transferred that to a James Bond property. That would be nuts.
2: That would be a license to print money. It would.
1: It would be. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I'm sure there's a few um, levels in Uncharted where he wears a tuxedo, Nathan. Yes, there is. Is it Uncharted Two with the museum? Yeah, yep. I
1: love that. I in, know, at, the, at the party, I love yeah. that game. I love yep. that game. I'll try I,
2: it
0: too. I love all the Uncharted games. They're some of my there, favorites.
1: There are so many James Bond references in all of those games. It's it's insane. Like the <laughs> whole kind bit of. where the cargo plane is lifted straight from Living Daylights, like beat for beat. And it plays <laughs> beautifully in game. It plays beautifully. You <laughs> you're on the cargo net. You're sort of and you just this whole thing sequence is just brilliantly filmed. And if you transfer that, and then say if they remade the Living Daylights scene on the cargo plane, and reskins the characters and gave it a bit more James Bond feel to it, I think it would be crazy. Yeah, like really I mean, do.
2: You, you can hear it now—the music when you you do it. Da, 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 da. It's yeah, amazing. <laughs> yeah. guys a question or no because i've got a, i've got an opinion on these
1: and it might clash with yours but what do you think of the daniel craig films um uh, mixed bag two great films and three semi-okay films yeah. i guess Cedar <laughs> Royale great skyfall
3: pretty amazing skyfall stunning quantum so got better the more you go back to it i can appreciate yeah. it more and more spectre was odd <laughs> and uh <laughs> yeah yeah
2: that's where it was, uh, Mister Spectre. I was like, "What is this? Why am I so bored? Why is it so serious? Why is it not yeah. funny? Why is it not yeah. fun? Exactly. So what this film needs it needs Roger Moore raising an eyebrow, wink yeah. into the camera. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. needs, It needs. I just thought they were desperately needing fun. All of them.
1: But this is the trouble. When I did Casino and Quantum, there is that that classic Bond yeah definitely. thing behind it, bubbling under the surface, does that little bit of smarmy irony that the self awareness of the films have always had.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then Skyfall comes along and it's got humour, and then it balances it really well. And then Spectre and No Time to Die is just like, oh, we're just going to do like really straight up dramas, and you're just like, <laughs> yeah, for free. You, inter- <laughs> you lose interest. You lose interest. I mean, and I think, both I think the, films... highs, the highs of No Time did I hit high.
3: Like, that film broke me at the end, and I was like, that was really good. But it mm. was still kind of uneven.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah it's a blo- bloated, too much going on, mm. too many. They're trying to tie too many plot lines up that yeah. don't need uh, to be tied up because they were, they were tied up at the end of Quantum. Skyfall start fresh. Mm. Yeah. But no, they still felt the need to do this massive cinematic universe of tying everything together. <laughs> just, it didn't need to be done.
3: Just give Paloma
2: her own movie. I'll yes. be happy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I always think with the, um,
2: the the newer films. I think if I was fifteen and I was just discovering Bond, would I want to sit through this? Yeah. No, I, I could Not understand that. Would, would, would I be like, oh my god, this is this is better. This is more fun than Avengers. This is better than Guardians mm. of the Galaxy. <laughs> and I just always think. Because if I'm bored, of, I was very bored through Spectre and No Time mm. to Die. I was like, if I'm bored now and I'm a fan, mm. what would a new fan think with these very serious dramas? Whereas I was used to seeing, was it Roger Moore running over crocodiles? Yeah. yeah. And doing doing yeah. spins in a car over a bridge. Yeah. And an underwater lotus. And Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's, that's, what I mean. that's what like my, the James Bond YouTubers are watching. I'm in full agreement with them. You go to see a Bond film for escapism. You go to see a Bond film for therapy from real life. Yeah. You don't want to be reminded of real life sitting in a cinema for two and a half hours.
2: You know? <laughs> I, mean, you, I, I didn't want to see my hero uh, die either. I like,
1: <laughs> no, I can understand why they did it. It works great on paper and in principle, but in practice, it's just like, no, no. What are you doing? Like, just <laughs> no. <laughs> Leave it open-ended. Leave it ambiguous. Just wipe the slate clean don't kill him just have him disappear and then start fresh whatever you want to do and then you don't piss off 50% of the fan base
2: but <laughs> which funny let, you should basically... bring it oh. up sorry go on mate
1: sorry should... <laughs> finding the Daniel the later Daniel Craig's a bit boring when I was a kid and first getting James Bond I discovered James Bond through uh Timothy Dalton first yeah oh, yeah Right, awesome. because he was he was the current Bond when I was getting at that age where you you're aware and you're like, oh, I like this this kind of thing. What's going on? And then you discover there's a new James Bond. Pierce Brosnan's coming in a couple of years. and you know, like, oh my god! Like I'm 11, and it's just like this is like the best thing ever. This is amazing. Yeah. And Then when I discovered when I went back and got VHS or the ITV would always show a James Bond movie. <laughs> I used to I used to find the Connery films like you exactly what you just said, very slow. Mm -hmm. and very thinky but as i've gotten older they're not so slow and drawn out but i think it's a product of its time Mm -hmm. because it was a cold war spy thriller Mm -hmm. and then in the 70s it reflected the 70s perfectly well It was basically james bond meets smoking the bandit and cannibal run it was just (laughs) (laughs) batshit mad it it was just
2: absolutely crazy cocaine must have been pretty good in uh, oh god studios back in the 70s and 80s (laughs)
4: But yeah, no, I mean, but it's, it,
2: Bond used to copy trends, didn't it? I mean, yeah, he always has Star done. Wars. He went to space. You know, there was you could always tell what they were doing. If I remember correctly, you can correct me because I'm not as big a Bond fan as you. But the Dalton films felt like a reflection of American action films. Yeah. Like, they, felt, they felt gritty yeah. and
1: well, that's you watched, kill. Drawn, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's watched, an
2: action film, isn't it? That's yeah, a yeah you watch License to Kill. Cool, <laughs> yeah, that could
1: be that could be any 1980s action flick with Willis Stallone. Kurt Russell, but when you watch The Living Daylights, there's a definite switchover where they've still got the Roger Moore hangover, Mm -hmm. and then they tried, Tim, if you wanted to do serious stuff, and they were like, no, 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 let's play it a bit safer, so you get a blend of super serious and super light, and it's very disjointed sometimes. Mm. License to Kill comes along, and it's literally his, you know, it's his Skyfall, isn't it? It's just like, boom, gritty, serious, dark, 15 certificate, And then I think when Pierce comes in and Timothy says he doesn't want to carry on because it's in his past and they told Pierce they wanted a blend of Roger Moore and Sean Connery because they wanted to get the fans back. Yeah. And you can see why they did it because if they did something so radical when Bond's been off the air for six and a half years, you're going to to piss people off. They're not going to come back. But if you do exactly what they expect and follow the exact same beats and then that's when you get Pierce's James Bond films. Yeah. Less said about dying other day, the better because that just went extreme. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a perfect blend, and we've all got to admit: in the nineties, when we were kids and teenagers, they were fantastic. They just—they did exactly what they said on the tin. You knew you were going to go and get a, a best of reel of James Bond quips, sexism, sexy stuff, yeah. gadgets, action.
2: Yeah, exactly. They were they two were... hours of therapy. That's what I mean. Yeah. Not I two really, hours of. they made for kid, they're made for fifteen year old kids. Them films. Yeah. Really, you know, the, the, the Pierce, uh, oh my god, Pierce, I'm tired. I <laughs> not <laughs> <laughs> what he's called now. Jesus Christ, what's he called now? Brosnan. Oh, this this <laughs> sun's throat's kicking in, boys. <laughs> it, you, know, it, 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 the, you know, the early 2000s was full of janky action, mm-hmm. you know, and thanks to George Lucas, a lot of very dodgy CGI implemented in films. Yeah. And it felt like, you know, from Goldeneye, gritty, practical effects driven, you know, miniatures, everything, to his dodgy CGI. Is it, the, is it the world is not enough where... No, it's dying every day, isn't it, where he's at the ice hotel. Oh. Yes, it's all,
4: all <laughs> dying every day. The day. gliding thing with the oh, green screen. Good, good it's God. so
2: bad. He's so bad. He's so bad. <laughs> they're the awful and it seems like Brosnan aged about 20 years in between them films yeah because he's that's, like that's I look to be Bond and I'm least like cheesy action like I, he wasn't even an action hero it was just a bit of a cringe, cringe yeah cringy. I think
1: I think he like Sean Connery before him when Sean Connery came back for Diamonds of Forever to kind of erase Lazenby you know what I mean and I don't think Pierce was interested at all in Die Another Day I think he just did it to cash check yeah because I, I think he knew that the producers were going to, and he's, he's very bit, not very, not very bitter there's a wrong word to say, but there's an interview with him where he says he got a phone call from, is it, Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli and said, you know, we're going to go in a different direction. And I think that hurt him deep down, I think, mm-hmm. because as far as he was aware, he was their golden child. He was the one that Kirby Broccoli wanted in 87, you know?
2: Yeah. And I think yeah, to
1: be let go. To be let go like that, I think, just really hurt him and I think it's damaged any future relations with Pierce, I think, because he's very He always changes the subject on interviews. When it's brought up, he's just like, let's yeah, move on. Yeah. And he laughed about Dying Another Day when he said when he went to the premiere and he's looking he said he looked around the Royal Albert Hall and he said, Now I looked up on the screen and there was just hot. what has he said. Bond surfing a tsunami, and it was really bad. and He laughed, he laughed, and he laughs. He cracks up in the interview when he's talking to the camera and he creases up because he realized how fucking ridiculous it was. It's
2: hilarious. So, I only learned recently that, that he was offered the role in before Timothy Dalton, and it was <clears> a <throat> last minute thing with a TV show he was meant to be in. Oh, yeah, it was, it was renewed. Remington was- still. Yeah, he's waiting in the wings, ready to be announced as a new Bond, apparently. Which is
1: yeah, yeah. But that was that was the that was the cheek of the TV series because they they got wind of him uh, auditioning and the Broccoli family wanting him as Bond to replace Roger. So the TV show deliberately renewed his contract because Very it annoying. was already in it was already making newspapers. So they had the publicity. So if they renewed his contract, he wouldn't become Bond. So they got twofold publicity. Yeah. They kept him. They get the publicity. They've got the, the guy who was nearly James Bond back for one more season. Yeah. But then we wouldn't have had Timothy Dalton's two spectacular movies to get yeah. fondly back on and go, yeah, you were, you were doing it before Craig tried it. Yeah, that's fair enough. And uh, what what
3: we think of the uh, next Bond?
2: Ooh. <laughs> I apologise, I'm taking over the questions here. What's no, no, going? it's oh, fine. Yeah. It's quite nice
0: being the guest. <laughs> yeah, so. I put my feet up and...
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, oh. they recently said, didn't they, it's going to be at least a two to three year decision. Well, they're it should be. Yeah, they're apparently working on where to go and you're just like, well, where the fuck else can you go after killing James Bond and pissing yeah. 50% of your audience off? <laughs> you know, it, it just... It boggles my mind that they can't work out what they want to do. It's like, well, you've got fifty year, nearly 60 years of legacy now. Mm. Um, you can go anywhere with casting. I mean, obviously, everyone's... This is, this is going to sound really weird, but people like Roger Moore and Pierce Brosnan were the cookie-cutter James Bonds. They're almost grown in a lab to become yeah. that character. Yeah, you just look yeah. at him, you
2: know, though, right?
1: you know. You're like, you're off a of production line, and the only one we've got a similar set right now is Henry Cavill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Which... his demo reel would be Napoleon Solo <laughs> in a Man, The Man from Uncle. Such a good film. Fucking great, stiff-ass, stiff-ass Brit, you know, great film. But I think by the time it comes along, he's going to be early 40s. And I don't think that going from big tentpole DC movies like Superman to James Bond will be a wise choice. They won't do that. Mm. And I've said this before: like they will not cast people like Henry Cavill or Ed- Idris Elba as a big one at the moment. It'll be someone we have no yeah, idea who it is, which is how either. it should
3: be. Like yeah. I don't want you, yeah. I don't want a Tom Hardy, or it's just lazy at that point. I mean I don't know.
1: I'm in the I'm in the mindset of they've gone dark and gritty with the everyday man Bond. They should, I think, go back to the you know tall, dark, handsome kind of guy.
0: Tom Hillston. He's always
1: no, he's he's got a weird eyes. They're too close together. It doesn't look right. (laughs) Well, Ethan
2: Belong's available.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Do it,
2: and he's got his own car. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is in my garage right now <laughs> oh, that's amazing, that's I, that amazing. Here, it? It's following me into my new house I'm like Ethan Ballon follows me wherever I go <laughs> you know, it's quite funny last year right, I had a bit of a cleanse from the film I was like this has been three years of my life bringing back Goldeneye and I burnt so many of the props yeah there was like posters and bits and bobs and i was just like i need like just a complete detox yeah because like every time i open a cupboard i'd see his face (laughs) you know mugs or t-shirts or just everything and i was like oh god i'm so (laughs) done so i had a lovely fire and i sent daniel bruce the actor some
1: pictures of his posters
2: burning (laughs) kind of like the end of uh, return the jedi where darth
1: Vader's burning in the uh Yeah. I thought you were going to make a space reference then with Tim burning his uh, Star Wars stuff. <laughs> yeah, listen, don't get me started on Star Wars.
2: I'm very bitter about how what's happened with my beloved Star Wars. I maintain yeah.
1: that Rogue One is brilliant. I can't Rogue stand one's the sequel fast, trilogy.
3: Yeah.
2: I can't
1: Rogue stand. One's great. I like the standalone universe building. I love Rogue One and I have done ever since the cinema.
2: Sure, it's, but, it's the best of the new ones, I'll give you that. But only because yeah. it's so much of what we want to see. You know, if it wasn't for that last 20 minutes, I'd be like, oh, well, it's a bit of an average war film in space. Mm. But then, yeah. Gold Leader standing by, I'm like, oh, fucking yeah. hell! <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> the problem is, the more they make these spin offs, the more they create plot holes. Yes. And as a nerd, I'm furious. I'm furious. And um, I feel like there's not enough care from the people who are making these things. Because they're not hiring people who know the source material enough. You know, just my opinion. Yeah. And the Obron Kenobi show, which was, you know, people I seem to have love it or hate it. I was apathetic to it. Mm-hmm. I just thought it created so many more plot holes, and it made mm-hmm. it, it makes Star Wars, which is the most beloved film possibly of all time. I it actually makes it worse. It makes it dumber. Mm-hmm. It, it fills you with questions going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a Death Star. Why did Princess Leia run onto the Millennium Falcon when Orbon uh, Kenobi was having a fight with Darth Vader and not even looking to say hello to him or show any concern? <laughs> and I'm like, what? And then I'm sorry, I'm, i could go on off on a tangent. Yeah, don't I am, don't I am because, uh, so mad. I'm so no, no, mad.
1: Because uh, I'm I'm kind of nerding out right now because Star Wars now has its Star Trek problems. <laughs> and yes. it's come
2: full circle. Finally And who and who created the problems
1: for Star Trek? <sighs>
2: God. Was it was it a certain JJ?
1: No, Wait, I no. actually really like the 2009 JJ movie and Star be Trek a lot, Beyond. A, a lot of people Star um, Trek into Darkness. Don't even get me started on that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I do you know what? That, I wasn't much of a fan when I started watching the JJ ones, but like the more I kind of rewatch and learn the Trek lore, mm. the, the 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 newer shows have just gone so far from what it is and what it should be about. But I just, I mean, Picard was cringe TV. Um,
1: I I, didn't, oh, it was I, awful, I gave awful. it a chance, and being a big next-gen fan, now the original series, obviously, it's so dated, but they're doing Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm. I love Anson Mount as Captain Pike. They're really fleshing it out. But at mm-hmm. the same time, does it need doing? You're just creating more issues, and you're claiming it's, it's in one prime universe when it's not. It's clearly not. Mm-hmm. And I just I've decided to accept it as its own continuity, its own thing, and then you move on. Yeah. And I, a lot of fans are doing that with Star Wars. They're they're calling yeah. like the sequel trilogy, the the JJ Abrams universe, and they're they're disjointing it and not discounting it, but allowing it to exist in a different bubble. Yeah. And that's how I've been doing it with recent Star with new Star Trek. It just exists in a different timeline somewhere, and then everyone's happy. But. What they do in Strange New Worlds is, again, like we've got a problem with the pre-Star Wars stuff, is it's creating so many unnecessary questions, plot holes and twists and stuff Mm -hmm. that you just like, uh, why? (laughs) (laughs) Just like that that Ryan Reynolds gif, but why? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The
2: fact that, you know, I'm I'm only an amateur, you know, I'm an amateur filmmaker, but I pained over my scripts to make sure there's no plot holes. Pained over it. I mean, I... Stressed about things which no one will ever even care about and never even think about because I, I put the care into it and I, it just it baffles me that you can green light a Star Wars trilogy without a script for yeah. the films or a story. And the
1: same has been happening with Jurassic Park as well. Oh, awful. like Jurassic awful. World Dominion. Uh, Jesus Christ! Dominion. Like... My my kids fell asleep. Yeah. Lucas I mean, the
3: locust movie. That was fun. Yeah. yeah.
1: and we said on another recording. <laughs> yeah. <It was> like... <laughs> Oh. Just, it was just like oh. you, like you just sit there in the cinema and you're going to yourself, why do they have that line or or that task in this film? You have Sam fucking Neil, Jeff Goldblum, and Laura Dern. Give them shit to do. Mm-hmm. And Not what did just- do?
2: We're going to bring back the original characters and we're going to make them go undercover and find some locusts. Yeah, the <laughs> it, was like,
1: it was like the most pointless thing ever and I remember coming out of it going like, What? Like, you should have had them straight bang smack in the middle of everything. From it in the deep end and then in the end it was just like, oh okay, so." That's... and then everybody lives. Yeah, enough, yeah. No, stakes, I, no stakes. Yes, no I didn't want them to kill a legacy character. Maybe apart from Chris Pratt, but like, <laughs> it just thing, like... Right? here's the
2: thing, right? Here's the thing, right? Sorry to interrupt, yeah, Chris. No, it's fine. You, the first Jurassic Park, right? At any moment, you thought someone could die. Yes, the dinosaurs mm-hmm. were a very, very real threat. Mm. You were terrified as a kid. You watched it, you were terrified because it was made by an actual director. He's got a real story. It's not about dinosaurs. It's about a man connecting with children. It's about children yeah. who have no father figure mm-hmm. bonded. It just happens yep. to be giant dinosaurs, <laughs> which are a giant threat. And then the new films are now about giant dinosaurs. They've forgotten that they need to actually have some substance for like to make yeah. it like you know rem- memorable and art. Mm-hmm. Now all these big franchises—they're not art. They're not films. They're just products. Yep. They hype Thumbed you up. We've, we've all fell for it. We went to watch Jurassic Park. They got our 20 quid, 30, 40 quid. They've got our money. And we're bitching on a podcast. Mm. <laughs> they, yeah. yeah. They won. Yeah. They won. They
0: won. Yep. They won. Indeed. <laughs> Um, well, we better let you get on Jim, because you've stayed longer than you... Uh, you <laughs> <laughs> I do I was
3: the to a tangent yeah. and a half. I what we do that voice. I appreciate that. I mean, I yeah, can't but it makes away. it a
1: natural free flow. It's oh, fine. Yeah. There you go, Chris. <laughs> don't, again, tell yeah. our, don't tell them our secrets. <clears throat> Come on, yeah, Just before <laughs> you go, I wanted to say this thing as well. Like, I've, I had friends who were not James Bond fans in the 90s play Goldeneye, and I, and I lent them my VHSs and said, watch these. Because yeah. they'd never seen the James Bond movies they'd only they've only known the universe from the game, yeah, and can I just say that what I love is people finding new stuff and then realizing that there's hundreds and hundreds of rich hours of old stuff to go and revisit mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I love the most is yeah. it allowed some of my friends to find something that I loved that they didn't know about, yeah, and then they came back to me like a few days or weeks later at school going like, you know. And then we talked about scenes and stuff in these Bond films that they'd never even watched, and because of Goldeneye, they were introduced to it. And because of new Star Wars, and new Star Trek, and new Jurassic Park, I'm loving that the kids are going back to where it started to see where it all began. And I love it. That's the best part of new stuff. The new stuff may be shit, but they're (laughs) they're going back to find the old stuff, which is better, and that is a good thing. It is. We've all turned into our parents. Well, yes, you know, yes think, we have you think that's good We, we should have. see this you yeah. should hear yeah. this you know what I
2: mean yeah, I, mean, it's, yeah. I, mean, I just can't imagine a kid growing up now in 20 years time begging on Twitter for uh, a new trilogy bringing Chris Pratt back to Jurassic Park <laughs> <laughs> so I like, why would anyone want that yeah. but bizarrely you see people excited about Obi-Wan coming back you know yeah. and I thought oh god it he- and prequels were awful, mm. but people, people are at the age now where the the nostalgia's there, and they were brought upon it, and it's, it means a lot to them. And I think that's lovely. And obviously, nostalgia means a lot to me with my films. And do you know what? I'm just glad that we live in a world now where there's access to, like, for example, like content, like my fan films I've made. Mm. I,
4: think, yeah. I think
2: it's great, and they're out there for free. People can just just watch them. Do you know what I mean? I, I think it's, I think that's a cool thing. There's a really good community online that just eats up anything Bond and Golden Eye related. It's, but this it's is all, great thing about awesome. what
1: you're doing and fan films in general, because people are gravitating towards them, myself included in all genres of fan films because the fan films are made by the people with the most love and adoration mm-hmm. for the source yeah. that yes, some acting and production skills might be awful, or mm-hmm. subpar but for christ's sake you're watching a fan film you're watching fans making a film for the sheer love of it and that yeah. shines through yeah you yeah. have a love for the source material and what you're trying to do rather than a studio cashing big mega bucks and merchandise rights you know yeah completely and it comes completely through so, like i've seen some star wars and star trek fan films and they're amazing and your two fan films as well it's just like Thank you. it's it's just it's refreshing to know that people are also noticing and discovering fan made productions, whether it be a fan made documentary or a fan made mm-hmm. straight acted film or in your case a mockumentary like, you know, Spinal Tap Meets Gaming, you know, it's Yeah. Because of the love behind it, it's literally you can feel that buzz coming off of the production. Just from that. Thank you. And I just wanted to say that because it's just yeah, it just filled me, filled me with so much so much joy and happiness. <laughs> Because really you be, because you can see that you guys were having the time of your life making it as stressful as it could be. The <laughs> buzz say, you how, could feel how, how the having much fun? <laughs> Yeah, but you could you could feel the buzz like just yeah. in essence it's a group of mates screwing around with a camera, isn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. But with yeah. a script and and a structure and a narrative and it just yeah.
2: Great. Well, Great I hope stuff. it inspires you to make your own film one day, too. Because if I can do it,
1: you can do
0: it. I'd love to Honestly. see a Chris film. That would be amazing. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I, no, no.
1: That would be a deep dive. A yeah. That would be a deep dive into my mind that no one should ever have access to. Well, <laughs> now in your
2: punctuality, it'll never come
1: out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, can't upload it. Why? Internet connection <laughs> problems. <Yeah>. Really? <laughs> Well, Chris dear. hasn't showed up
2: on set. Where is he? Right.
1: But, um, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you, chaps. Yeah, yeah thank people.
0: you so much for for, uh, for joining. It's Fantastic. been an awesome uh, conversation. And can you just, any, anyone listening, I mean, are your films still available on like Blu-ray or anything like that? And if they are, where can they find them? And where where, where they can find you on the internet?
2: Um, yeah, Going for Golden, I actually got a physical release in North America through Wild Eye Releasing which I'm, I've seen DVDs knocking about. So that is out. That's out there. And it's it's on VOD on the internet. Um, Bring You Back Gold Now was released for free, actually, for charity, which I'm quite proud of. So that is available for free for a limited time. It's, I think it's going to be released for a year for free. So that year it will be coming up soon. So watch it on YouTube for free while you can, because eventually it's going to be a, a proper release. And I'm just on Twitter, Jim Stallone. Come and say hello.
0: Well, that's it for this one. Thank you as always to everyone for joining us. And if you've enjoyed the podcast and would like to support us, then we have a coffee page where you can give us a one-off tip or if you're feeling kinder, a monthly tip starting from a pound. A massive thank you to all who have done so. You're legends. And if that is not right for you right now, you can also support us by giving us a review or rating on Apple, Spotify, or Podchaser. You can find the links in the show notes. Don't forget about our new Discord channel. If you'd like to come and join and join in the conversation about retro or modern day pop culture, then uh, a link can be found also in the show notes for that. Next time we have the video games of 1997 and I think it is going to be very Nintendo 64 heavy, so look out for that one in a couple of weeks' time. Chaps, it's time to say goodbye.
2: Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.
0: My name has been Jason. Dom, it's over to you.
3: Well, that's it for another episode of What's Wrong With Wolfie. The boys are off now to hit the roulette table with Patricia Routledge. See you later.
1: with Wolfie. I can hear him barking.